Good evening. It is 6 p.m. here at Radio Free Brooklyn and Resonance FM in UK land, which means you're about to start listening to Sitting with Jan Luca. I'm Jan Luca. I'll be sitting with you till 7 p.m. Sitting with me via phone will be Arnie Goodman. Um, and the reason being, I, I, I usually do a Christmas special for uh, inmates and the incarcerated and their families. But uh, sadly, uh, I'm sort of doing a sort of death watch, I guess. Um, the wonderful Kim Simmons, um, a British blues guitar player, uh, passed away uh, earlier this week and uh, pancreatic cancer. And um, he was super important. It's funny, you know, Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac uh, passed away uh, also recently. A very important uh, musician in British blues. So was Kim Simmons, uh, about the same generation from the same scene. Kim Simmons was um, one of the British blues men, blues guitar players, British blues men, um, along with uh, Eric Clapton, John Mayle, Peter Green, Mick Taylor, there was a whole score of them Stan Wed from Chicken Shack you know they got this American music in the uh, early 60s and uh, early mid 60s and sort of repackaged it and sold it back to America and Kim Simmons was part of that crowd um, he had a project uh, called Savoy Brown and um, had so many lineup changes um, anyway very very important uh, artist really for, uh, for not just for British blues but for blues in general because he was part of the crew that um, that's uh, what's the word that sort of inspired the uh, the blues revival uh, when America realized that British people dug their music thought oh wonder what this is and to start digging in it as well so anyway uh arnie goodman um has uh, sat with me before and um uh, arnie used to manage kim simmons and also produce kim simmons uh, they did a string of records together and um they had a very long friendship and uh relationship for a couple of decades arnie's gonna be calling in uh, at 6 10 so uh, hopefully I can, uh, well, you can expect a little bit of choppiness because uh, I'm not particularly very well versed in uh, studio wizardry. I hope I managed to do it. But anyway, in the meantime, I'm going to uh, play some uh, some Kim Simmons and Savoy Brown, which was his, his band. And um, all right, here it is. Uh, Living on the Bayou, Kim Simmons, Savoy Brown. In a backwater town, close to bed, there's a Creole woman singing the blues. Saxophone man playing in the Bye. 
Okay, hold on, because we're right on the air. Perfect. All right. It is 6.08.04 seconds here at Radio Free Brooklyn. We are a little bit of a ways into... Well, this is sitting with Jan Luca. We are just listening to uh, the late Kim Simmons and Savoy Brown living on the bayou. Sadly passed away this week. And um, sitting with me today to pay tribute is... uh, is Arnie Goodman, um, manager of Savoy Brown and Kim, Kim Simmons, uh, producer, made uh, some records together. So, um, and we're just going to pay a tribute, actually, to the man. Thank you, Arnie, for sitting with me today. It's great to hear from you, and it's good to hear a knowledgeable guy that knows a lot about Kim Simmons and how important a man Savoy Brown really was. Uh, absolutely. Well, what is your relationship with with Kim and Savoy Brown? Well, I go way back. I knew Kim as a fan. Interesting enough, I met the late Dave Peverett, lonesome Dave Peverett, who was in Savoy Brown, who later joined, later formed Farcat. I actually met him met him in a record store at St. Mark's Place in in 1969 in February. They were open playing the Fillmore East, opening up to Chuck Berry. And that was my first introduction to the band. Oh, what year was that? 1969. Oh, all right. So what did you, what did you hear? Um, 
I guess the, I mean, you managed him for a bunch, and you made a few records with him, correct? Yeah, I made him, I, I worked with him, you know, did records with him with GNP Crescendo, did records through Viceroy. I mean, I had a long relationship with Kim. I mean, I managed for about 10-year period through the 80s, and uh, we became friends. I advised him, you know, till the day he passed away. Mm. And, you know, it was more than anything. When he came to, initially he was managed by his, brother Harry, who lived in the U.K., and Kim married somebody in Shelby, Ohio in the 70s and moved to America, and that's, you know, really where my relationship became strong and business and other things become, became related to the relationship other than just being friends. Yeah, because uh, I was thinking, uh, you know, he came out uh, about the same period that a whole bunch of uh, British blues musicians um you know mick taylor john mayall well that's uh, true he came in the, the, there was one bond between all these guys there was a famous producer by the name of mike vernon yeah. who worked for decker at the time who formed blue horizon who did john mayall savoy brown fleetwood mac 10 years after did all of the above and you know mayall people forget that mayall at the time went from eric clapton to peter green to mick taylor back to back to back and those were all Mike Vernon productions, and Savoy Brown was part of that group. So, so what? <laughs> there, there's sometimes there's not an interesting uh, answer to this question, but I'll ask it anyway. What right. does Savoy Brown mean? Like, what what is the reason for that uh, name? Well, the name Savoy Brown was a combination of the, the great Savoy label, blues and R&B label. And it was a it put them a connection. It was a name that was a, that was built around the Savoy label. Ah, all right. Because cause, um and Savoy Brown. I mean, that's really a King a, a Kim Simmons. I mean, there well, was no Kim lineup. Simmons, that... Well, Kim Simmons was the constant member from 1967 to date. I mean, they went through a lot of personnel, a lot of great artists from Loads of Dave to Roger Ault to Dave Walker. I mean, many great musicians went through. And it was almost, it, it wasn't quite as transient as John Mayo, but a lot of people went through Savoy Brown. Yeah, the, you know, the New York Times did a, a lovely obit, and I, to paraphrase them, they said something to the effect of uh, the the revolving lineup was like a turn subway turnstiles at rush well, hour. Why, why it was, but you know, with revolving, there were only a certain amount of people that were born. A lot of people went through. You had the Chris Yolden period. That's what started. Chris was a guy, matter of fact, George Thorogood people lived for. Then you had the Chris Yolden with Peverett. Then Yolden left the band, and you had 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 uh, Lonesome Dave doing the singing as well as playing rhythm guitar. The record that was really a breakthrough record was a record called Blue Matter, which a magazine was named after. That record was a very interesting record. The first half of it was Chris Yolden did Nowhere Road, but part two was live, and that was the that was the first time that Lonesome Dave Peppered ever sang on a record and. The song Louisiana Blues, which has always been a Savoy Brown signature tune, was a song that Kim played guitar and Dave Peverett sang. And Lonesome Dave later formed Foghat, and Foghat, in a lot of ways, was based off that song. Oh, Foghat based on Louisiana Blues? 
what Louisiana Blues was the breakthrough. That opened up, that showed you what Lonesome Dave. Lonesome Dave was the rhythm guitar player in the band. Suddenly, he, he, he's the singer as well. And that, and Fog Hat members, Roger Earl, Tony Stevens, and Lonesome Dave wasn't from Fog Hat. So that was, Fog Hat was basically three quarters Savoy Brown. <laughs> yes, yes, there's a touch. And, and, but then you, you take a look at Savoy Brown. Then you, you figure they were in big trouble, but people don't realize. Everybody always looks historically. Well, they had the Farcat members, but the follow-up to Lonesome Dave was Dave Walker and Street Corner Talking, which was the biggest record. And Dave Walker sang on the three biggest records: Street Corner Talking, Lion Share, and Hellbound Train. Hellbound Train. And Dave Walker had an interesting history. He he played in the Red Caps. He played. He played. He was. Uh, he was. He was out of. Uh, not, I'm trying to think. Birmingham, and he played with the, the guys from ELO, the Idol Race Band. He played in Black Sabbath, and he sang in Fleetwood Mac. I and mean, so Dave had a pretty strong history as well. But those three records really got Savoy Brown to another stage. People always think it, the Farcat connection was great, but it was Dave Walker that put him up. And then after that, you know, Dave had a second round with the band. He came back in the 80s. But then the next band that really mattered something, a guy named a guy named uh, uh, Nathaniel Peterson joined the band. He came from a band, Mama Roo, and they had a resurgence. So you really had the four great singers. You had Nathaniel, Dave Walker, Loads of Days. Dave and Chris Yule did. Other guys sang, but those were the four guys. Those were the, when you think Savoy Brad, it was those four guys. Yeah, all right. Well, let's let, let's jump jump back because you mentioned Louisiana blues. Right. Um, you want to? Uh, you sort of mentioned a little bit about Louisiana blues. Well, what what does this tell you about the group, the dynamics of the group, and well, what what the dynamics? It really. It, it broke out. It, you know, blues, Louisiana Blues is a Willie Dixon song, so it's not an original song. But what it did, the riff on that song really became the signature riff to Kim Simmons and a lot of other blues rock bands from 10 years after on down that paid attention to that song. I was in the studio at the time when we were doing the Hubert Summon record, if you recall, when yeah. we were there. And we were talking at that time. And even Hubert said that riff on Louisiana Blues became the standard for that song. And, oh. you know, obviously other people did the song other than Savoy Brown. Oh, interesting. All right, well, well, let's play a little bit of it. Uh, we'll play sort of a minute or something uh, uh, to, to get the idea across. Well, you only had that opening riff. That, that's the song. That's, that's the song. That's, that's the power of the song. Because when they'd be playing, you know, people will always scream for a song. That was the song. All right, so here we are. Here are sitting with Jan Luca, Savoy Brown, and Louisiana Blue.
down in Louisiana. Baby, behind the sun. I'm going down in Louisiana. You know, I just find out my trouble just begun. Oh, inter- interesting stuff, actually. Uh, this- oh, yeah, but you can see where Kim took that guitar riff, and that was really the power. I mean, that was, that was a riff that was copied by many, and it was a distinguished little riff, you know. I mean, Lonesome of Dave did a great job on vocals, but it was that guitar riff. To the day Kim stopped playing it, when the audience came to see Kim Simmons, that was a song, was top of the list song. Mm. Well, it's interesting hearing how uh, when you compare the original to uh, to what Kim Simmons did, that uh, right. just how the brain works. But he seemed, uh, for the time, uh, much sort of heavier than the other blues, um, British really, blues guys, no? Really. No, not really. I, I mean, Peter Green after, was never... But, but, ten, but ten years after, were, were, were heavier than Savoy Brown. I mean, Alvin ripped even more, I mean. Oh, yeah, that's I mean, true. matter of fact, you know, the time, uh, ten years after, got blamed for being bombastic. That's how heavy they got at times. <laughs> yeah. as, as did Cream, I mean... If you really look at Cream, they were a blues band, but they had more of an effect on the hard rock audience than probably anybody. Mm. So, so what is the difference then? Um, I mean, he made an awful. He was very prolific, which always impressed me about about Kim right. Sevens. I mean, he he sort of pretty much. Uh, I mean, there's a big tally of records. Uh, I, I lost count. Oh, because you want to know something? He was Elvis' uh, product. I mean, you, you, people don't realize getting a record deal is a business. If you don't have an ability to sell product, there's no label. There was always a label. And one thing about Savoy Brown, in all the years, he, he, I mean, the, the key was when they were on London Decker, but London Decker ended up being sold to Universal Change. But all it could be Gene Norman, it could, you know, anybody, any there was always people out there that wanted to record Kim Simmons and Savoy Brown because there was an audience. I mean, they they sell they sold a certain amount of records. That's that's a big asset to a band. You'll see bands, you don't see records sometimes for years at a time. A lot of times it's just because they can't get a record deal anyplace. Uh, true, yeah. I mean, but one of the things that I, I always found a little bit baffling is that, um, he, I mean, I guess the question is who he was selling the records to because he was never really uh, outside of Aficionados, two of which are talking to each other right now. Um, he, he's not. He, he never became a household name like uh, Clapton or Peter Green or Fleetwood yeah, Mac. Well, Kim Simmons in America was big, more well known than Peter Green. Peter Green in Europe was a different thing. Yeah, in America, Savoy Brown. They, they they did a major tour. This goes back years ago. Savoy Brown headlining Fleetwood Mac in the middle and Long John Baldry. Mm. I mean, Savoy Brown. That period of time, from street corner talking through lion's share, they were probably as big as anybody in that genre of music. Oh, I guess so, yeah. I mean, and, I- and you got to realize also the thing about it is, it was a different time. 
bands. What a lot of people don't realize, radio now is, in most cases, is formulated. People look at playlists. In those days, DJs got and played what they want. And two cities specifically, Detroit was where the Grandy Ballroom was Savoy Brown broke out of. And Seattle, those two cities that were massively, because for whatever the reason, radio, whatever, look behind them. till the day Kim finished, those, those markets have always been still very good. Not to say New York wasn't, but Detroit and Seattle were the two biggest cities in the, for, for them. Anytime they tour, you knew they'd come into those cities. They'd be, as a matter of fact, when they'd come into sit, the, Seattle, Al Hendricks, Jimi Hendrix's dad would come to every show. And, and you knew the one thing you knew Al would always be there to see Kim. Yeah. So how would you um, describe, uh, how would you compare his playing, Kim Simmons' playing, then to his contemporaries? What was different about him, do you think? He didn't, you want to know something? Kim pretty much stayed straight arrow and stuff. There was a period of time in the 80s with all, all these hard rock bands that were coming out were influenced. Matter of fact, RCA and Alan Grumblatt offered Kim a deal to do a hard rock band, and it was a short-lived Kim Simmons band that was fronted by Jimmy Coons, and they never they never did a record. They looked at it, but the feeling was it really wasn't what Savoy Brown was about, just to take the money. And then out of the blue, a live record, live from Central Park came out that was put out by Relics Records, of all people, and the record did very well, and Dave Walker came back, and that put an end to the infamous Kim Simmons band. But we realized Kim was too into the blues to try to change styles at that time. He was too he was too you know, too known for one thing and it would have been in, impossible to really change the style at that point. Even though music was going in a different direction. That was not a that in that period of time in the eighties that wasn't a big time for blues. Yeah, no no, that was very hard. So was he was he <clears throat> Was he a purist then? In many he, he started out as a purist. Kim Simmons, all those guys, Dave Peverett, Kim, Peter Green, these guys knew blues like back in the time. I, I could be sitting in my house playing records for him, a mature blues record, and two notes into it, they knew exactly what it is. They really studied the music. If you take a look at their early records, let's make two ways about it. They were They were built into the blues, especially the Chris Yolden days with Savoy Brown. So, so could he do that thing um, that I always heard uh, stories about Mike Bloomfield uh, yeah. being able to do, where, where you could sort of mention uh, someone's name, I don't know, Freddie King, Albert King, or, or right, whoever, right. and they would say, oh, yeah, here's some, some of his licks, and he had like a whole catalog of, of the playing style of pretty much any blues uh, guitar player that you could bring up. Did he do stuff like that? Oh, yeah, well, everybody was influenced by somebody. And you, you take a look, I mean, they, they could have been, they were influenced by the 50s guys, like Eddie Cochran in the U.K. was fabulously influential. Not so much here. Right. When you listen to Keith Richards, any of these guys, Eddie Cochran was one of influential 50s rock guy, almost of anybody. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people don't realize it's world music. Everybody thinks, just because of America, that there are other parts of the world that these bands do very well at, that it's not everything is America in their music, and a lot of stuff would be geared. Interesting enough, Kim moved to America in the 70s, so his outlook became different. But 
they started out in the UK idolizing the American blues guys. I mean, we were in we were in Detroit for Chicago Blues Festival. I can't remember what year. And I'm sitting across the street at the I'm trying to think of the name of the hotel. The, not the Capitol. There was this one big hotel right across the street from the park. The the I'm trying to think, but I'm sitting and somebody knocks on my door. I have no idea. I, I didn't know that really many people in Chicago. It was Willie Dixon. Savoy Brown had big results with Willie Dixon tunes, and Willie Dixon had to sell songs, and he understood the importance of a Savoy Brown carrot covering a song like Wang Dang Doodle. Oh. <laughs> but he knew. He, he, he knew. He knew exactly what it was. You you went to Chicago Blues Fest, I'm sure, sometime. At that time, you had everybody. The, the period of time, you know, through through really... Unfortunately, a lot of guys passed away, but if you took the blues, Chicago Blues Fest through the 90s, you had everybody from John Lee Hooker to Chuck Berry showing up there. Oh, yeah, very true. Uh, so, so do you know what was said between Kim and, uh, and Willie Dixon, one of the great blues writers, I would have to say, of all time? Well, I think anybody, let's put it this way. If you, if you looked at any Muddy Waters record, any Howlin' Wolf record, you knew most of those songs were Willie Dixon Penn songs. So. Oh yeah, and uh, you know it, it's interesting. Uh, Vince Converse, if you remember, played with Willie Dixon's son for a while. Uh, yeah, this is and a good... played the Chicago Blues Fest with it. It was him, Nathaniel, and Willie Dixon's son. I forget what year it was. I guess it was sometime in the late nineties that that it happened. But it was interesting because they have that Blues Heaven Foundation that Shirley Willie's late. Daughter used to run, uh, and by Nathaniel, you mean Nathaniel Peterson, the bass yeah, player, Nathaniel right? Nathaniel Peterson, right? Bass player. Nathaniel Peterson, very underrated singer in Savoy Brown. He, 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 you see what what Nathaniel Peterson did for Savoy Brown. He, when Chris Yolden was in the band, they were really, really a straight ahead blues band at that time. Over the years, with Dave Prever and Dave Walker, they got rockier. But then, then Nathaniel Peterson came back in the band. And it brought it back. It almost gave them. It almost gave them the sound of early Savoy Brown again. Oh, oh well, we should play. Um, I'm going to do a station ID in a second, but we should maybe we'll play something uh, from uh, from that period. Yeah, when, let me uh, let me dig up what 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 would be good for you. Yeah. Because that would well, while we're doing that, actually, I'm going to play Wang, uh, Wang Dan Doodle by Savoy right, Brown. That, that that's that's a track that he, uh, with the Willie Dixon. Well, he covered right, a load of true, Willie Dixon. But, but that's about the that's same time that he turned up on your uh, doorstep, right? No, no, that was well, uh, that was considerably after that. That was considerably after that. All right, well, well, that 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 took place early '70s. I was just you know at that period of time, I was still just a fan mm -hmm. more than anything. At that oh. point, but you know, he, Willie Dixon, John Lee Hooker, there were certain these guys that really understood what the business was. Some people you'd get out of them; they were bitter about these guys covering their songs. But Willie Dixon understood what time it was. Oh yeah, 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 most definitely. All right, so we'll do a little bit of Wang Dan Doodle, and uh, you can think about a Nathaniel of uh, Nathaniel period uh -huh. song. And uh, all right, here it goes. Uh, all right, Wang Dan Doodle here at Sitting with Jan Luca. I tell all the mad it's slim to tell a raise 
right. Well, if you have just tuned in, yeah, 32 minutes, 39 seconds into sitting with Gianluca here at Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm Gianluca. I'll be sitting with you till seven. Uh, sitting with me is Arnie Goodman, and we are celebrating the life of Kim Simmons of Savoy Brown, um, who recently passed away, sadly. And um, you also know, if you have listened to Radio Free Brooklyn before, that we are flat broke and um it would be wonderful if we could keep the lights on for another month uh that would be wonderful if you go to the radio free brooklyn website there are donate buttons uh, all over the place radiofreebrooklyn.org of course and uh you hit hit a button uh ah, buy a shirt we got cool shirts we got caps we got all sorts of wonderful things that you need they make great christmas presents too and um uh, or you can no, nothing is too small if you don't have too much jingly jangly we get it neither do we um nothing is too big either um you can also subscribe um i have uh, this is also sitting with jan luca is also uh, downloadable as a podcast and um you can tell a friend if you have no money you can download our app you can subscribe to a newsletter there are loads of ways that you can help and while keeping your landlord happy. Um, right now we're listening to uh, Wang Dang Doodle, Wang Dang Doodle, Willie Dixon song as covered by Kim Simmons, Savoy Brown, and um, who sadly passed away uh, very, very recently. And uh, sitting with me today is Arnie Goodman, who managed Savoy Brown, produced Savoy Brown, and was a very good friend and uh, co-conspirator with, uh, with Kim Simmons for uh, uh, decades really so let's get yeah thank you Arnie again for sitting with me I got got a good idea he did a record called the blues keep me holding on mm-hmm. it was a throwback record it had some interesting guests it had Leo Lyons from 10 years after it had Tommy Compton from the Johnny Winter Trav man on drums it had Nathaniel Peterson vocals and bass Duke Robillard and it also had the comeback of Roger Earl so it was almost like a reunion record. And a, a song that, you know, going back into blues history, they do a very nice version of Little Red Rooster on that record. Li- uh, Little Red Rooster. Let me dig that one out. Okay. Uh, Little Red. Oh, and this has... Let's see if it even comes up. This is live radios, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, here it is, the Little Red Rooster. So this is... And, um, and this is when Nathaniel Peterson on vocals, who really brought them back. Ah, fantastic. All right, well, it's coming up right now. Two, one, and here it is. Ah, hold on a second. Live radio. If it was smooth, people wouldn't believe it was live. Here it comes.
is that it brings the uh, the backbeat back to the blues because blues really is dance music and and it's it sort of made to really be dance. so it has that sort of the role it has that role where the blues rock doesn't really and that sort of uh, like Savoy you think Brown yet used to end their show you could find it on the live in Central Park they used to do the Savoy Brown boogie and go into a hip shake and the audience would dance that 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 the way they did that the audience would get up and dance like through the whole song. I mean they they played Carnegie Hall with that lineup at the time. They almost ripped the place to pieces. I mean it really got the people dancing and moving. But that's that's an intro. I forgot about how they did that. There's a live in Central Park record that has a version of the boogie on it. Mm-hmm. it, it it's tremendous. Yeah, I, I just sort of want to sort of bring that a little bit to the fore that I always thought um, sort of brought Kim Simmons sort of a little bit above the pack in many ways because a lot of um, blues artists sort of went the rock route, um, you know, Chicken Shack, etc. And he sort of, Kim Simmons seemed to keep the dance element in blues. That sort because of thing. you see, Kim was a guy, he sold enough product. He wasn't chasing. What happens with a lot of these bands? They change style. Or the record company chases a hit. Mm. You know how many times I've sat there and said, well, we need a hit on this record. Yeah, I mean, if it was that easy to make hits, I guess every song would be a hit. But the thing is, a lot of times they take songs out of their element and they try, they try to make them into something they're not. And that's, that's the problem with Kim doing his records. He was basically just about his whole career able to do the records he wanted to do at the time. He wasn't under pressure to produce a certain kind of record. You know, he, uh, um, so one of the things, um, you know, he was, I thought he was a good singer. He often had other people singing, though, instead. Uh, what, what was his theory? Well, he didn't, he didn't sing till later in his career. Hey, 
Ah. When you have a Chris Yolden, a Lonesome Dave Peverett, yes. Dave Walker, you have some great, great blues rock singers of all time. So, I mean, Kim would always sing a song, but when you had guys like that, tough to compete. <laughs> yes, very. I true. mean, these weren't these weren't just singers; they were good singers. And, and the interesting thing, as you know, a lot of times when bands change the front man, it's over. Yeah. With Savoy Brown, it never really affected him one way or the other. That he Kim was able to come up with one good guy after another. He wasn't playing with second division guys because you know a lot of times you'll see a band going out, a name band. It, yeah, I mean, like example, you'll see a guy going out. You sometimes see somebody like Rick Derringer going out, but he's going out with guys. I hate to say it, a lot of times, why are they in a band? Because they play inexpensively. Kim always took the best guys that he could get. Somewhat like the same thing with John Mayo. He always went out with first-rate bands. Oh, very true, yes. I mean, that's possible. Yeah, but, 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 but you would see certain of these bands that have been around. It'd be one guy, and some of these guys would get picked up 20 minutes before the show, I think. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, I oh, mean, you... we, we, let's put this way. I love Mick Taylor, but we had Mick in New York. When Mick used to play the old Lone Star, he had a new band every night. I mean, he, he had Bernard Purdy and Wilbur Baskin at times, but there were other times he'd go with lineups that you had to shake your head about him. Uh, yes, I have uh, witnessed that personally. And, uh, right. and yes, there's a certain, yes. Um, uh, but, but Well, that's one of the hidden secrets to really being a band leader is casting and picking the right musicians, which might not be the best drummer, but it's the right drummer. It might not be the best singer, but it's the right singer. And that's sort of an art, isn't it? And also the other thing is you have to have a band. You see, the problem is a lot of these people, these bands, I mean, Savoy Brown played consistently 200 shows a year, so they were playing a lot. So these bands became good, tight bands, and that was a big part of it, and you knew if you could keep it. It was hard work touring with Savoy Brown. It was not, you got to realize that you're playing a million one-night shows. You're playing Columbus, Ohio one night, Austin, Texas the night, San Diego. Some of the routing was tough, but you went night after night after night. Oh, yeah, well, well, yes, because pickup bands is strange. Um, it works in jazz. It works in songwritery. Well, Chuck, Berry and blue, the, yeah. Chuck Berry was the king of that. Well, he was the king of the pickup band, um, right. and, and in fact, uh, there are many shows that are sort of rather suspect because he had a certain pickup band. Oh yeah, that... he had some good times. I mean, the John Paris is the world, and sure. Eddie Aronson. I'd seen him. I'd seen him play with Ronnie Wood. You know, he had occasionally some great yeah, guys who would sit in with him. But there were other times the pickup band would be who a promoter could get to play cheap to Chuck, back up Chuck Berry, and that could. Be anybody. I mean, I mean, it's well, well, there's that. There's that. But thing. then again, everybody knew the Chuck Berry riffs. If you played guitar, you had to know the Chuck Berry riffs. Yes, if you didn't know the intro to Johnny Be Good, no one would ever right. hire you. But what's one of the? Uh, I mean, there's that joke, isn't it, that people uh, people sort of put on their resume or in conversation. Well, I played with Chuck Berry, and the answer right. to that is everybody played with Chuck Berry. Well, that's well, yeah, it's funny. I'll look at people. People send me stuff. Fans will say to me. And you'll see lists of bands that have sat in with guys or opened for somebody. But they don't realize playing one gig doesn't mean you're in a band. It's like I'd be sitting down. I'd sit, I'd sit down at a bar downtown, and somebody says, well, this guy worked with Mick Taylor. 
He might have worked with Mick Taylor for one show with the Lone Star mm-hmm. in 1979, but saying he was in Mick Taylor's band was sort of stretching it. Yeah, there's the, there's the thing. Well, well, bands take a couple of years to to gel. Uh, in bluegrass, in country, in jazz, pickups work fine because uh, it's sort of improvisational to a point, uh, as is blues. But blues, uh, really, the band has to gel. Uh, riff bands, you know, groove, funk, you know, a band has to sort of develop and uh, and get comfortable with each other that just takes time but so he was doing 200 plus shows a year up to when was he always in I'll his say, later I'll years tell you, else, i'll tell you a funny thing last summer i got a call that he canceled shows in all the years no one kim kim the only time kim would ever cancel a show either you ran into a suspect promoter where deposits didn't come but he never canceled shows i mean that was never an issue i mean there was a show on the schedule they played them. No matter where they were, they'd play them. And unfortunately, when I heard that, I knew that he had definitely health issues because Kim is just not a guy. He, his life was touring. Mm. Well, this is probably a right spot to wind things down. Um, if you have just tuned in, uh, well, you're about 47, well, you're exactly 47 minutes, 54 seconds into sitting with Jan Luca. We're doing a tribute to uh, Kim Simmons of uh, of Savoy Brown. Well, Kim Simmons is Savoy Brown. Um, sitting with me has been Arnie Goodman, um, good friend, uh, former manager, producer, and, uh, and co-conspirator. If you recall, you were talking mm-hmm. about blue shows. If you recall, it's Old Tramps. There was the infamous show of Peter Green and, and, and Savoy Brown together. If you recall, I'm sure you were at that show. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, yes. This is one of Steve Weitzman specials. Well, when when you mean when Peter Green came out of uh, retirement? Yeah, it was uh, Peter Green, the Splinter Group. It wasn't yes. Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah, played no, no. together also, but this was later, this probably took place in the 90s sometime. Um, I think it was late 90s, and I remember yeah. I interviewed Peter Green that uh, that morning, as a matter of fact. It was right. sort but, of his but, first time. He, he played B.B. King's later, but there was an early yeah. show when he first came back. Mm-hmm. It was Savoy Brown and Peter Green Splinter Blue at, at Tramps, and it was great. I mean, everybody turned out for that show. It was a fantastic show. Uh, and, uh, even, uh, and Steve Weitzman took every bit of credit for it. <laughs> He did take every bit of credit. (laughs) Anyway, Ali, I want to thank you uh, for sitting with me. Um, We should play out with something that, um, uh, if I can bring it up in a hurry, what do you want to play out with? It's entirely your call. Let me see. I guess play Street Corner Talking. Street Corner Talking. Let's see if if I can. uh, It's uh, from the Street Corner Talking album as well. Ah, uh, let's see. Ah, here it is. Street Corner talking. So, um, you want to introduce this? T- tell us something about this track. Well, Street Corner talking record comes off Kim's most successful record, and it was a song that Kim continued to play and revisit his entire career. All right. And well, it was also the introduction to the world to having Dave Walker and Savoy Brown. All right. Okay. Well, on that note, um, I'm going to launch right into it. Arnie, thank you very much for sitting with me. Thank you. And we'll go out for a beer one of these days. We'll go out for a beer and argue which which the great bass players and drummers are in uh, in rock and roll. How about that? I'll be right. Do that.
Yeah, well, Always I'm... a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Adi. We'll All talk right, soon. Bye. Bye.